0: Welcome back to Aria Parents Proud of You. I'm your host, Matthew Schufrider. Today, we have a new guest, Emily Bergel, one of the stars of the critically acclaimed hit at the Goodman Theater, Goodnight Oscar. Emily Bergle is a unique actress among her peers, is often compared to the Golden Age movie stars of the past. Perhaps because of her classic comedic timing or her versatile across genres, her talent and work ethic have led to a flourishing career in television, film, and theater. Throughout her career, she's been praised by the New York Times, LA Times Variety, the Wall Street Journal, and Entertainment Weekly as an actress of an affinity nuance and a Harlow for the new era. Emily and I got together on Zoom to talk about the play, growing up in Evanston and Glenbrook uh, South, and among other things. So, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Emily Bergel. Thank you so much for coming on, Emily Bergel. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, um, it's it's my pleasure. I mean, any kind of I'm I'm a Chicago girl, so any kind of Chicago. Anywhere, basically, that I can do an interview and I won't be ridiculed for saying pop, I'm all for it.
0: We don't judge here, so it's okay. Um, I have to know, we're recording as April 6th, you have a handful of shows left. Uh-huh. Um, what's the ride been like going from small Davenport Cabaret Theater to 850C Theater and, and the Goodman Theater? What's it been like so far?
1: Oh, you mean in Chicago? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, like anyone, a ride is never linear um, because, you know, bef- before Davenport's, like, I've been playing like 1,500-seat Broadway houses. Um, so it always goes from kind of big to small and back again. Um but I found that the Chicago audiences are really wonderful to be honest with you. In fact, the show has been getting such great reception. I've been, I and we all really believe in it and know that it's really wonderful. But you know, the skeptic in me is thinking, God, like are, are these New York cynics gonna be throwing us as much love in Chicago? But, I have a nicer dressing room in the Goodman than I did in Davenport, Oh, so, that's not true. Actually, they're about the same. They're about the same. So she, Davenport Davenport's was my own show, my own cabaret show that I produced. Right. And this is someone else's show that I'm acting in.
0: Right. And you know the playwright Doug. You know he thinks he he was quoted as saying uh, he thinks he writes good parts for actors. And for your role, you're playing the wife of Oscar Levant um and i hate it's a it's a broken record question i think but um what do you what do you like about your character or what did you observe about your character that you've really latched on to
1: oh great i would like to add add that um i'm not just the wife my name is june levant
2: june levant thank you
1: no that's okay that's okay it's a common i think it is in common parlance that when you're somebody's wife in the show, that you end up call it, being called the wife.
0: wife right.
1: I want to make sure that because June's part of June's journey is um, that she has actually um, put aside her own ambitions to take care of her husband. That that I guess just as a tribute to her, that she gets recognized in name. So, what was your question? I forgot.
0: <laughs> no, I appreciated that. Um, tell so it's a broken record question, of course, but like, um, what have you really latched on to, to June, and hmm. what have you taken away from her so far?
1: Okay, well, I mean, on a really superficial level, um, I have latched onto her glamour because I've had a really steady run in the last few years of playing amazing needy. Parts of destitute women, and I did put it out there in the universe. I would just like to wear a beautiful dress and makeup and play a rich lady and that prayer has been answered um because June has um just an incredible wardrobe and it's it 's a crime that I only get to wear one dress right. um, but I think that I've also latched on to all the, I don't want to say contradictions, but the contradictory emotions that live in her. Um, she's in a obviously codependent relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody that she really has to take care of. Oscar has big mental health and um, uh, addiction problems. And June certainly had her own mental health issues, both uh excuse me, while the Chicago Fire Department
2: whole. to
1: cry. It's like I'm back in New York.
2: Right? Some things just never change.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, she and Oscar actually both had sui- multiple suicide attempts. Mm-hmm. Really? It wasn't just Oscar. Um, so on one hand, it's been interesting getting into the, I guess we would say, unhealthier nature of her marriage and how she had to bury her a lot of her own ambitions to be in that marriage which i think doug expresses very eloquently in the show but also her genuine love for her husband and and the 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 care that she takes for him and and i think i really relate to her being a woman navigating the hollywood system it's it can be it can be complicated and um I admire that she has a lot of strength and also a lot of softness. In fact, I guess I don't think those two things are contradictory, but I've definitely latched onto that.
0: Right, I saw the play and mm-hmm. first of all, congratulations. It's great, loved it. Um, that final scene just gets me every time That between you and Sean.
1: Mm. It gets wow. me every time too.
0: And just for, a, it's a little moment. But it's when you guys, it's after battles and you guys just sort of lock arms, you just go off stage and I just see the, the actors finally leave the roles and sort of just relish in the ride that they've been on.
1: Oh, the uh, curtain call. Oh, how we now. go out. i That's one of my favorite moments because I am really in love with Sean. Right. It's a good thing he's married because I'm in love with him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you had a nickel for every time someone would say that though, I think you you would have your contracts stipend, right? Yes, you would. Yeah. You would.
1: <clears throat> no, I just, I love, and we just end up chatting a little bit. Wow, I hope there's not like major incidents going on downtown because it is. It's a, it's a busy day.
2: Yep. Yeah, for it's...
1: Chicago. <laughs> um. Oh, no, he's really, Sean is one of the most beloved people in show business. He's one of those people that everybody just adores and for good reason. For good reason, he's so generous and so fun to be around. We just, God, we just make each other laugh all night long. I love it.
0: Oh, it's great, and then he loses himself into the role, and you know, absolutely, yeah, everyone's great. So it's on that, but it's been great. uh, I want to talk about how great young Emily was growing up. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I, is this true that Uh your grandma sewed you a like a dress, like a fairy costume dress? And you would wear it and perform it no matter how many times people will get sick of it or just not even pay attention to it.
1: Okay, you have gone deep in
0: your research. <laughs> I told you I would.
1: Bravo. It is true that my grandmother um, sewed me a fairy dress. I still have it. And that I would, yes, I would, I, I was kind of a megalomaniac producer and I would enlist all the neighborhood kids and I would do various performances. I even remember once, Getting my parents to get me dry ice at Baskin Robbins for, like, effects. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Like for just for what? Just like, did you have an idea of what? If you remember, a, what a fairy
1: like? cauldron, a fairy cauldron. Um, that that made that made spells, and later, I would when I outgrew the fairy costume, I would, um like teach the kids in the neighborhood to play piano and put on recitals. And I found one of the programs from the recitals and it was insane. It was like costumes by Emily Bergel, refreshments provided by Emily Bergel, directed by Emily Bergel.
0: That's amazing. I was
1: taking full credit back then.
0: Right. Um, were your parents or uh, anyone's family involved in the arts or where do you think it just came from?
1: My family was not involved in the arts at all. Um, but they were very artistic. My parents were very artistic people. Um, my dad practiced in, as an architect for a long time. And my mom was extremely creative. And I also think that um, it was coming from Ireland. There's just that storytelling tradition that's still alive there. I mean, when we go back um, to Ireland, they still have um, what's called a party, you have to have a party piece. And at parties, um, you know, after kind of the merriment has happened, people will just get up and recite poems or sing songs. I mean, this is something that I saw like 22 year olds still doing. Mm. So I think I grew up in a very imaginative and creative household. And my brother did all the plays in high school and I was just so impressed with him. I think he was my original inspiration to be an actor because to be in the Glenbrook South high school variety show, that was like the pinnacle of my dreams.
0: Just be what was about it? Cause what, what was the variety like?
1: I mean, they had really, you know, it was a public school that was very well funded. Right. We, you know, we lived in a part of Chicago that, I mean, unfortunately for other high schools that, that aren't well funded because of the way um, education is funded by property tax, but we had, it had a big budget and there were flashy lights and costumes and also all these really creative kids playing in bands and writing their own songs and doing comedy sketches. And my, my brother was so funny, Richard, that I just, I mean, it just, I was like, wow, I just, I want to be a part of that. It's so amazing. Mm
0: -hmm. That's correct. And there's your act, your brother, um, still act, or
1: what does he do now? No, um, he is actually, um, uh, he is a doctor, professor, curator of primate anthropology. He's a curator at the North Carolina Zoo, and he actually travels all over the world um, helping endangered species. He's pioneered um, some software that helps track um, species, mostly in Africa, and also track the people that poach them. Jeez. And he works, he's worked a lot with the National Geographic. Uh, and he specializes in gorillas.
0: Wow, that's amazing! Yeah, yeah. So, uh, there was, and also- you know,
1: he was acting like a gorilla when I was in the fairy costume. Oh. So, <laughs> it really is amazing with kids how early you can see what they're into.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I used to be a preschool teacher, so I, so, so you saw uh, it. Oh, dress up. Oh. Yeah. Dress with time was the, was the thing I did uh-huh. most just because, you know, I live, I go off of play. And so we, I would do so in kids at that age, and they need mm-hmm. to learn, I think, through play. And also yes. they're going to learn then running around, dressing up, going, out, know, going outside and just finding the things, you know, and especially, you know, it was, I was a preschool teacher during still during this pandemic life Oh, really yeah so like when you see like sometimes might be a little bit delayed in some areas just the growth you know Mm -hmm. was amazing to be part of um it's a it's very it's it's a slow bill but it's gonna it gets there after a while you know
1: um my daughter's in preschool right now Mm -hmm. oh cool yeah she's in pre-k That's so, like, now I just want to make this whole interview asking you about being a teacher. I do want to ask you one question, though. Is is it okay for me to ask you a question? Please, please do. Have you found, you talked about learning through play. I have found becoming a parent, and I don't know if this is possibly, I think it's a nationwide thing, but it might be more acute in New York, that the expectations of parents for their kids to hit these milestones and benchmarks so early and for them to be have test scores and learning and and I I, I don't know. I think it's 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 happening early and earlier. And people were asked literally asking me when I had a three month old infant what classes is she in and you don't want her to get behind. And it's been really important for me to preserve her childhood and like you said, learning through play. I feel like partly capitalism has made us feel like our kids need X, Y, and Z, all these things to learn and get ahead. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then we want them to be so advanced. Like, where are they advancing to? Like they're saying that they're going to live till they're 150 years old. Right. I find seems like childhood is being more commodified and we're, we're making being made to feel, it's, it's feel as parents that, you know, our very young children have to be ahead. Mm-hmm. And I just feel, why can't they just be kids and play? They're designed to learn through play, as you said. I'd love to get your perspective on that.
0: I think the, the X, Y, Z, I think it's longer to get to certain, the certain points than people think,
2: you mm-hmm. know, and I, yeah.
0: I think we fall into the habit of, okay, well, this, this child is two, three years um, where are they going next? What have they fallen into? You know, mm-hmm. it, I didn't find out. I didn't. For me, for, as an example, I didn't find what I was into till probably maybe teens. I was just sort of going through the emotions. The only thing I remember was played So I think what we need to remember is they're going to get there eventually to whatever mm-hmm. even subject or art or love what they want, mm-hmm. um, but they're not going to fall into it. I think at three four five they might Mm -hmm. they might touch it they might go and go near it but Mm -hmm. i don't think eventually i see i think it's all about time i think just enjoying the moment and going through it all
2: you know
1: yeah that's a great lesson just for everybody i guess
2: yeah they're
0: great kids good kids are
1: you still teaching
0: I don't anymore. I actually, fun fact, I do more stuff at the Goodman. I, you've actually probably seen me once or twice. Yeah. Um, I check your VAX cards. Um, I get, or I'm probably getting, or in the box office. So you, you you've you probably seen me around. I
1: have seen you. Yeah, the person who never has her key card.
0: You know what? But I I can see. I'm like, oh wait, no, she's in the show. So I'm not one who gives you the big thumbs up of like just.
1: Get you it. do, you wave me in. You're one of yeah. the ones who waves me in. I don't know where I put that ID. <laughs> I don't even remember them giving me an ID, to be honest with you.
0: I'll I'll let them know. I'll let them know to go yeah. there. Yeah. Um, Speaking of school, there was something that I found very interesting, uh, that you said. Um when you were growing up, you felt like this liberal in this otherwise conservative space in school. Um something yeah. something like that. Um mm-hmm. What what was it, and did that? How did that maybe say? I don't think I want to be here. I think I want to go to school somewhere else or do this somewhere else.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it actually got when I when the first time I broached that subject was in a in an interview with the Tribune, and I kind of got in a lot of trouble with my high school. I understand that people were hurt that I said that, which I can understand. Um. But like I said, I I got huge benefits from where I went to high school here in Glenview, um, yep. at Glenbrook South. I mean, they had a harp for me to play. I could play in a 70-piece orchestra. I could be the lead in musicals with huge budgets. I could travel all over the country with the speech team and explore poetry reading. Um, so it was an incredibly creative atmosphere and i had wonderful teachers but at the same time you know this was the late 80s early 90s um it was pretty diverse and there was a, there was a big um asian um and indian population but i remember there was like one black kid in my junior high class i remember talking to him um at graduation at, at our um not our graduation our reunion like what was that like man and like you know, no, like, no one was out at that time. I remember there's this um, student, he's actually on TV now, Jordan Feldman, and a kid, like, during an assembly we were performing in, just get yelled faggot at him. And I don't even know if this kid was actually really punished for doing that. So I think there was, like, an insular part um of the north shore there. I feel like the city and the suburbs are more integrated now, but my parents always had a business in the Wicker Park area and I remember a lot of my friends parents were like, "Oh, my kids can't go downtown." or, "You know, my kids can't go there." Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it was really pretty like re- republican and I got called like feminazi and was um, you know, I had to kind of fight hard about my progressive beliefs, some of which, you know, that's the thing about liberal beliefs that I think most of them are just eventually assimilated like into the culture at large. I mean, mm. most things that were considered progressive 50 years ago, we just accept now as basic human rights. I mean, well, there are people who are trying to erode that, but maybe we don't have to go there. No,
0: that's, that's okay. Um, and then when you graduated, um... Was art when you set on art and doing performing? uh, Were your parents okay with it, or how did they react?
1: You know, it was really interesting. It was a total surprise to them and to me because i I didn't. know one in my family was in the arts. I loved acting, but it never even occurred to me that that's what I would do as a job. It just wasn't even in in my brain. Mm -hmm. And it was my it was my senior semester at Glenbrook South, and I had already been accepted to Grinnell College where I ended up going. And um, I was playing Guinevere in Camelot alongside Chris Hoke from Glenbrook North, who um, has done many Broadway shows and is extremely talented. Um, And I decided that I just didn't want to do any more work. So I just stopped doing all my homework. And I was called in to the principal's office and was told that if I wasn't passing all my classes by mid-semester, that I would the musical would be taken away from me. So I had to go and beg my kind of intimidating English teacher, Mary Cannon, to pass me. And I was afraid and she was tough on me. But then at the end of our conversation, she said to me, Emily, why is it that you want that you do all these plays and musicals? do you want to be an actor? And I remember she said actor because she was a big feminist. And no one had ever asked me that question. So I said, well, I don't know. And I always remember she said to me, if that's what you want to do, that's okay. And I said, yes, that is what I want to do. And like a week later, we were at some lunch, my parents and I, some lunch with a family friend and they asked me, what do you want to do after college? And I said, I'm going to be an actor. And I hadn't announced this to my parents at all. And apparently they were a little frightened.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we didn't, I know we had like a, we had a distant cousin and I was told stories. I have a an, an, a cousin who's Belinda Bremner, who's a very successful actor here in Chicago, but we had another distant cousin who I heard stories about that she could never make any money. And they were, they were big on me getting a degree and getting prepared for another career, which I was okay with because I didn't really want to go to undergrad for acting. My grand plan was to go to liberal arts college and get a really good education and then go to grad school. I didn't make it to grad school,
3: but that was the plan.
0: Right. And that's funny. It finally hit you your senior year. Um, that you wanted to do this was it just the thought of you know you do the theater for the four years or how many years you're out of high school, and then you say you know you pull this you put it aside and then you go do whatever gets you the most money in the whatever field in college was that sort of what it was
1: i mean i always i I always thought that I'd probably end up
3: being an English professor mm-hmm. um But I think it was,
1: it was just that it never occurred to me as a possibility. But when I look back, my number one priority was always that school play Mm -hmm. or that silly play I was putting on in my basement or, you know, that speech team weekend. Um, And that's what I always tell young actors too. Like, or actually, it's really whatever you end up doing in life. What is it that you just naturally prioritize? Because if you have to make yourself do something, it's probably not what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Usually what you like to do becomes evident if you keep yourself open.
0: Right. Yeah. Speaking, of, I was thinking, as you were talking, I was just sort of thinking about, you know, I'm so I do many jobs, good men teaching, yep. still, still act. Yep. Um, but, you know, my parents at first, you know, they saw me in my grandparents' basement doing whatever dance that we yeah. had there. Mm-hmm. Um and it sort of was like, Oh yeah, no, this guy's gonna be a performer. It just we they didn't know it yet. Now they can finally acknowledge now that like, oh no, you're good at this, or you know, we we understand why you like this so much. Do your parents um
1: tell did- me more about that. Finally acknowledge so that they did They didn't acknowledge it before. They didn't want you to do it. Or what's the story there?
0: Well, they sort of fell into the category, like you said before, of any parents who, you know, when their senior high school student or child says, "I want to do theater uh, as a career." Okay, cool. How you're going to make money? Because they didn't sort of get it. They didn't come from the arts background. They both came from education, and you know, my dad was a principal. My mom was uh, Mm -hmm. a Sunday school teacher. So so very different backgrounds and then when i do stuff like you know i talk about how i was in eurydice a couple of years ago and i love mm. anything by sarah rule yes, you know, me my, too. my parents are like this is a little this is i this is not our style fine talking rocks i understand uh-huh. um but then they say something you know when i did it's wonderful life a couple of times that's where they get the most of like oh no Put aside, if you post aside all the makeup or the costumes or just how our son could be at 11 sometimes on stage, mm-hmm. I, we kind of get it now. Why? When he, we kind of just see it in those tiny, even humane moments. If that makes sense, of like, oh, we kind of now we see why he likes this.
1: Interesting. So, did you feel that maybe at one point you weren't really seen?
0: Yes. And sometimes still do. I'm the, I'm the oldest of four. So, Uh and so it's, and I, I've said this before, it feels weird that I'm the oldest and I sort of thought growing up, I have to sort of lead the other three and then went to a liberal arts college and then uh, Columbia college. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Switched majors, went from radio to theater Mm -hmm. and then was like, and then told them like, Oh, maybe, don't follow my path because this is going to get you to thousands of dollars in debts waiting from, waiting from um, roll to roll sometimes. It's and, tough. It's a yeah.
1: tough, it's, it's tough for, you know, it's not for everybody, just the, the sheer psychological stress, mm-hmm. even when you're very successful.
0: Right. My favorite part was the level one and two acting classes yeah, mm-hmm. which was like a foundations class, so it wasn't just mm-hmm. actors. it was uh we had comedy majors, directing majors, playwright majors all had to sort of take these classes.
1: You and learn oh, sometimes more about acting from people who aren't actors in acting class.
0: exactly, but mm-hmm. what I saw was just sort of the people who would slowly drop out either during the class, after the class, during the summer. And it's like, oh, some of them just can't like you said, handle it. Um, I've talked to several of my professors and they said, oh yeah, we can figure out who's going to stay and who's not going to go. And I said, well, who, where was I? And they go, you were in the fun category of we'll see. Interesting. Like they saw, like he had all the potential. He would sometimes like any student, I would say a little lazy in some fields or maybe a scene wasn't as good as it should have been. Um, so we were they, that made them a little nervous. But in the end when they kept when I kept going and going and going, I kept going mm-hmm. to class to class to class, it was okay, no. He has a drive. We probably just didn't see it. It was a little murky at first, but no, he had the drive there.
1: You know, it's interesting. I had a really great experience at Grinnell, but I was actively discouraged by a professor on a weekly basis from being an actor.
0: How come or why, if you
1: don't like? You know, I think I've since come to learn from a Grinnell alum Facebook group um, that this was something done to a lot of women. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's always very complicated because in a lot of ways she gave me a lot of support, but I think maybe she was trying to save me from what she perceived would be difficult, but also couldn't really, handle envisioning someone having success and maybe something she wanted to do. But I mean, weekly basis, you don't be an actor, you'll never have a family, um, you'll never make enough money. Um, But I mean, I like to say, although I don't think that was appropriate, if I had let that deter me, I probably shouldn't be in this business because. You just need, I don't want to say a thick skin, but you need to have kind of an iron will because you will encourage, you'll just encounter a lot of discouraging things and a lot of people who have, you know, not great opinions about your work. I mean, I always remember I was with an agent here in Chicago before I moved to New York and I was temping just down the street from the Goodman And they said, oh, we've got this agent coming in from LA to meet some of our clients. I put my suit on. I paid for a cab during lunch, which I really couldn't afford. I sat down with this guy for 10 minutes. And at the end of the meeting, he said, it was really nice to meet you, Emily. I don't think you're ever going to be successful in this business. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of great that eight months later, the same agency was trying to sign me. (laughs) And I politely declined. And I say that, like, not so much to kind of grind an old axe or grudge, but just say that this, you know, this business is, is, is full, is can be full of things that are hard to handle, as, as you know.
0: Mm -hmm. My favorite Thus far, my last college story is my acting four class. Where they it was this professor I wanted to work with, Michael Brown's his name. He's lovely, but in his first thing, the first in the syllabus week, it said he goes, "Hello, this class is very hard. You will be challenged physically and mentally. If you don't think you can handle it, there will be a fifteen minute break period where you can go, we could talk, mm-hmm. and that and that's fine. There will be no judgment whatsoever. And maybe just the anxiety in me." Because I think everyone just suffers from a point of anxiety. Just goes, "Oh crap! I don't think I can do this." Oh, okay, it just might be time for me to go. Um, but mm-hmm. the typical fashion was like, "Nope, just finish the cl- finish the first class and then see what uh-huh. happens." Um, and you know, did it and finished the class and did well. But I and had it to ask.
1: Was a positive experience for you?
0: It was a very positive experience, just because. I mean, I look, ba- probably now I look back on it as a positive experience, but during that time, I was so overwhelmed with just the talent in that class, because everyone up to that point has done something in that school, or has been well acknowledged by another professor here and there, mm-hmm. and I was just sort of, and I was just sort of there, being like the character actor that really, you know. Well, that
1: was the perception that you had of yourself.
0: Yeah, the perception probably, mm-hmm. and I didn't, and I didn't really, was like, I don't, I don't belong here. I belong in a different class. But
1: imposter syndrome, that never goes away.
0: No, it never does. Uh, I love that. Uh... You
1: know, what I think is interesting, though, is that I've seen a change for the better in how they teach acting. I think there used to be this concept that you needed, that t- action teachers needed to break you down. Mm-hmm. And I think that was used by a lot of teachers to vent their own hostility and jealousy on their students. I actually taught in a conservatory in New York where I actually left the conservatory because I felt that it was an emotionally abusive environment and I didn't want to be associated with it anymore. Wow. Um, I I, I feel that we're making a lot of progress. I don't think that in order to access emotions, you need someone to to berate you or or invade your boundaries.
2: No.
0: But again, I think as a former Mm -hmm. teacher, it just comes back to the play and that, and so what, and it's not, if this wasn't fun play, we're, we're working, but how are we, how are we going to accomplish it? We have to play and figure out we're not breaking anything down. We're just Mm -hmm. trying new things. You know, that's, again, that's just the teacher in me just thinking, how else are we going to not, how else are we going to get there?
1: Yes. That's a good teacher. That's a good, that's it. that's the good teacher in you. And yes, I mean, acting is one of the most, acting and singing, it's just one of the most vulnerable things you can do. I mean, I, I sing um, jazz. That
2: do be a show, right?
1: Yeah, I was talking with this um, piano player once and he goes, yeah, I mean, I can like play some piano for the audience and have a few clams, it's okay. But singing, I mean, that's like taking down your pants and showing the audience your ass. And I thought that really is a great metaphor. Mm-hmm. It's so vulnerable to get up there, because everyone has an opinion, and everyone has a right to an opinion. Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes people say to me, "Oh, well, I wouldn't know about this performance. What did you think? You're a professional. I mean, we're all experts on human behavior.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I don't, I don't actually feel that I have that much more knowledge than any person would on if a performance is good or not, or if you like it or not.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, We are running short on time, but I have to ask uh, before we go into our game. Yeah, we
1: have to talk about the play.
0: We have to talk about the play um, because this play is doing so well. Um, It's a a, hit.
1: It's a big old hit. It's a big old hit,
0: but this has been like a long time in the making because you guys are supposed to do this or the play itself.
1: Yeah, 11 years. I
0: think 11 11 years and then this was going to be performed in 2020. You know, I I was talking to a director for the show last week and I was telling her I was asking her um, just coming back into the theater um, after a year and a half, how, how many months, you mm. know, it's, it's might be a little different. You know, you might be wearing a mask more often than you you, you want to, or you mm-hmm. might be keeping your distance or some things might be going up your nose more often than you want.
1: I like the COVID test. I feel like it's a massage for my nose and I enjoy it.
0: You heard it here, folks. I love it. Um, but How, how, when you step back into that rehearsal room for that first read through, what was, what was it like? I know it's a sentimental question or a whimsical question, but I think any, I think just for anyone coming back who loves this is so, it has to be worth it.
1: Oh, I, it was, I mean, it was also terrifying. Do I even know how to do this anymore? Mm Mm-hmm. Can I be a human being with other human beings? But just sitting down and seeing Lisa Peterson, whom I've worked with, who's brilliant, and just looking into Sean's eyes at the table read, just being with creative people who all want to tell the truth of this play. It was, it was like coming home. And and then I started to freak out like I always do, like a, You know, two weeks into the play, I always think I'm like ruining it. And then we stepped into the theater and then I realized again, oh, right, this is my home. And it's not just what happens on stage. One of my favorite parts is just messing around backstage, just being with other artists. It's, I didn't realize how much I needed it until it
0: happened. That's awesome. Well, speaking of needing, uh, we have the need for this game called uh, Time for Two. Yes. Two minutes on the clock. Two minutes of random iceberg questions.
1: Okay, okay. Let me get in the zone. All right, I'm there.
0: You're going to be great. Ready? Yes. Three, two, one, go. Favorite food? Fondue. Scariest movie you've ever seen?
1: Um, the trailer for Children of the Corn. Never even saw the movie, the trailer. me. <laughs>
0: Would you rather have unlimited sushi for life or unlimited tacos? Sushi. The best part of waking up is?
1: Um, going back to sleep.
2: Do you think a hot dog is a sandwich?
1: Oh, um. I don't like hot dogs. It's one of maybe four or five foods in the entire world that I don't eat. So I don't think about them at
2: all.
0: Great. How do you feel about pineapple on pizza?
1: You know... I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it, but there's just too many fruits and salads, I have to tell you, too many fruits and salads, okay with pineapple and pizza. Uh,
0: if you could have any animal as a pet,
2: what would it be?
1: Um, it's a tie between a squirrel and a llama.
2: Oh, uh, deal or no deal? Deal. Typical bedtime?
1: Um, Telling my daughter a story, reading her books and um, singing her baby mind. Then sometimes falling asleep on the couch with all my clothes
0: on. Do you have an alcoholic drink of choice?
1: Oh, um, I like to say that I I have very juvenile tastes in drinks and I like drinks that taste like pop.
2: What is your name?
1: Emily Ann
2: Burkle. What is your quest?
1: To tell the truth.
2: What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow?
1: Um, uh, African or European?
2: Uh, boxing or wrestling? Wrestling. Where's the beef?
3: In the eighties. Can
2: you tell me how to get how to get to Sesame Street?
3: No, I can't.
0: And that's how you play. Time for two. That was fun. Yeah, there's 150 of those questions that you can you can do that for hours on end as I as I say. Mm-hmm. Well, Emily, before we go, my last question to you
2: uh is are your parents proud of you?
1: Um my mom died a few years ago. Um it's funny being back in Chicago because I'm just down the street from where we used to um take it for chemo. And the nice thing about someone being sick is that you kind of get out to say all the things you'd like to say. And my mom did tell me she was very proud of me. And I know that my dad's really proud of me too. And I'm really proud of my daughter just for being her.
0: That's wonderful. Miss uh, Emily Bergel, thank you so much for coming on, having some time to talk. I know you're probably busy and I appreciate you just coming on and chatting. It was a lot of fun. You can get tickets to Goodnight Oscar at the Goodman Theater website, goodmantheater.org. The show runs till April 24th. It's a great play. It's a lot of fun. It's funny. And everyone is fantastic in it. My thanks for Emily Bergel and the Goodman Theater for allowing me to come on and do an interview. All right, folks. Up next, we have M- Annie Tipp, director of uh, Life After. It's to be a great time. Follow us on Facebook. Like us on Instagram. Email us at parentsproudpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much. I'm Matthew Schufrider. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.